Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Blaze Experience once again. I'm definitely glad to be back here with you. And today I am here to talk some more State of Decay 2. Now, today things are going to be a little bit different. Usually I have a guest on here, but this will be the first podcast since Episode 0 where I don't have a guest. So we're going to try that out and see if everyone likes that. But I think I have a great episode planned for today. We are going to be talking about some top 10 tips for State of Decay 2. So I'll be counting those tips down from 10 to 1. And I've done a lot of research for this. I've watched a lot of videos. I've played over 100 hours of the game myself. Talked to some people that play the game a lot. And I think I've gathered probably the best top 10 list that you're going to find. So hopefully you enjoy that. But first of all, I do want to apologize to the listeners. I know I've been away a bit. It's been roughly about a month since my last episode, and that's definitely not the timetable that I want to leave for everyone listening, so I do apologize for that, but life kind of got in the way a little bit, and I was trying to spend some more time with family. I am back, though, and I will be hopefully churning out episodes uh, at least once a week. That's my plan, and hopefully... Now I can stick to that, now that things are getting better with family. But I really appreciate you coming back to listen, and let's get right into it. I do have a couple of honorable mentions to mention first. So with these honorable mentions, they didn't make my cut, but I think they're definitely worth noting. I'll just talk about them really quickly. So the first honorable mention, and there's going to be three of them, is you can actually change maps in State of Decay 2 if you don't like the one you're on, or you're done with that map. So basically, what you're going to do, I won't get into the specifics too much, but it's with your command center, and you can actually research new territories, and that will allow you to change maps. Now, the reasons why you want to do this, you might want a new map experience, because maybe you played on two of the maps, but you haven't seen the third one yet, so you want to see that one. Or maybe you've made it too far in your game where you've actually completed everything on your map, you've searched everything, and you want to move to the next map. You can actually do that without ending the game. So you just have to use your command center, and if anyone wants to find out more about that, you can contact me. But since this is an honorable mention, I won't mention it too much. Another honorable mention I thought was very good was you definitely want to use some followers. Now, from what I've seen from other people, They seem to grab followers from your base, which you can do. Basically, you go talk to someone in your base and say, hey, come follow me, and they'll follow you. This is really good for missions, especially like say you're going to take out a play cart. You're going to take out a lot of infestations. It's always nice to have that backup with you, because if you can't play multiplayer at the time, then having that extra follower there for backup, that really helps. However... I would personally say don't take your own followers because it's a little bit of a sneaky way, but I think it's a lot better if you use followers from other enclaves. Basically, what you can do is if you got enough standing with that enclave and they're actually friendly to you, you can go talk to them. It costs you 100 influence, but you can pay 100 influence and have one of their people follow you. This way, if something goes wrong on your mission and your follower dies, you're not losing one of your trusted community members. You're not losing someone you invest a lot of time in. You're not losing someone that really means something to you. Basically, you're just taking someone that's from a friendly enclave 
having them come with you. If they help you out and everything works out great, great. Just say, okay, you can go back to your base and I'll go back to mine. But if they actually end up dying, at least you got some backup for your mission. And at the same time, it wasn't someone from your community that died. So I would definitely recommend using followers from other enclaves instead of your own. Then the third honorable mention I have for you today is when ending your game, you want to load up your top three survivors with your best gear. Basically, what you do is say there's some really great facility mods, there's some really great guns. You want to take uh, your cases of chemicals with you, for example. Anything that you think will help you in your next playthrough when you start your next legacy community, you want to take that with you into your next game. So basically what you do is the top three survivors of your community that you want to take with you to your next game. You just load them up with whatever you want. And then when you start that game, they'll have it with them. So say you put say you put one of your best facility mods in there. Say you really like the CNC mill, for example, and you want to keep the CNC mill with you for your next game. You put the CNC mill in somebody's backpack and then start your next game. And that CNC mill will actually be in their backpack which is very nice and very handy. And you can also do this with rucksacks too. You can take out a food rucksack before you end your game and you'll have an extra food rucksack when you start your next game. Technically speaking, there is a way to get your entire inventory with you to your next game. But personally, I don't really agree with it too much. I think it's a little bit too unfair to do that. So I'm not going to mention how to do that. If anyone wants to really find out how to do that and they're okay with it, then um, contact me on Discord, contact me via email, and I'll let you know how. But I just don't want to put it out there in the podcast because I think it's a little bit too unfair to take your entire inventory with you to your next game. But I think it's definitely reasonable to take you know three backpacks full of stuff with you. So those are my honorable mentions, basically your three bonus tips for the day. Like I said, we're going to do the top 10 tips for State of Decay 2, so I'm going to count them down from 10 to 1. Number 10 is basically considered the worst tip, but at least worthy enough to be one of the tips. And then number 1 is considered what I think is the most important tip you can have in the game. So I hope you enjoy it, but we will start off with tip number 10. Tip number 10 is find and use your survey car. So the survey car is a special car. It looks like a hatchback and it has like a camera device on top. And basically there's about two per map I've seen. I could be wrong on that. There might be more than two in a map. But when I've played and I've played in five different playthroughs now, I've only ever seen two on a map. So there's going to be two on your map somewhere. They'll probably be out of gas or destroyed. So you have to repair them first. But these are cars you definitely want to keep with you. because what the survey car does is a little camera device is on top of it. As you drive it by areas, it'll automatically survey for you. And basically, anyone that's played the game a little bit will know surveying areas is definitely essential. I mean, climbing on cell towers, whether it's climbing on billboards, water towers, you definitely want to survey things. That way you actually know what's around you. But with this survey car, you don't actually have to climb on towers anymore. You can literally just drive the survey car around your entire map. It surveys the whole thing for you, which is very handy. It's especially handy if you have a couple play cards left. I know I've been in situations where I've 
knocked out like nine play cards. I've got, you know, one play card left. I can't find that play card. You can always use radio command, obviously, but sometimes that bugs out and doesn't work for your last one from what I've seen. So you can always use your survey car. Basically, just look for anything that's not surveyed in your map. Drive the survey car around that area and it'll survey it for you. You can find your play cards. You can find ammo stashes. Basically, anything you want. Just survey it. The one thing I will caution you on, though, is definitely don't upgrade the survey car. Because if you upgrade the survey car, you'll lose that survey feature. It'll just become a regular car. So you have two survey cars. Don't upgrade one of them. You can just upgrade a different car in the game and get that same effect. If you upgrade it, then you'll lose the camera function. And before I go to tip number nine, I probably should have said this at the top of the episode, but I'll say it now. This These tips are meant more so for people that have put zero to 35 hours into the game. So someone that is either brand new to the game and they don't know anything about it, or it's for someone that has put some time into the game, but they need some extra tips to get them help. A lot of this stuff, if you put in over 100 hours like I have, a lot of this won't be new to you. You might find a couple of, you know, very small things that you didn't realize. But a lot of the base of this podcast will be already known to people that have put over 100 hours in. But that being said, we'll go to tip number nine. Now, tip number nine is if you need to AFK, be smart about it. So AFK is obviously away from keyboard. Same thing, you know, if you have to go away from your Xbox, same thing. Basically, if you want to do this, then you can set your game to multiplayer to offline. So if your multiplayer says offline, then you can pause your game. And basically nothing will happen while you're gone. And then you can just jump right back in it. That's the best way, honestly. But I know sometimes there's situations where you want the game to keep running because, say... You're building your leader project, which usually takes like 45 minutes in game time. Say you don't want to actually just, you know, do other things in the game while that happens and you want to just have it done and then keep playing the game. What you could do is climb a ladder, climb a cell tower, something like that that's high up. That way the zombies can't get you. And then you can go AFK for your 45 minutes, come back and your project will be done. You'll be safe. You just definitely don't want to AFK in open space, in a building, in anything like that, because zombies can find you and you can come back to a dead character, which you definitely don't want to come back to a dead character because obviously there's permadeath. Now, I have done it sometimes. If you must AFK and you're not like near a ladder or a cell tower or something and you want to actually have your game running then you can crouch in a safe spot at your base because that's probably the next safest spot to AFK. Only because your other survivors that are there with you, they'll actually defend you a little bit. You might come back to have taken some damage, but at least when you come back, if you did take some damage, you for sure won't be dead. I highly doubt you could ever AFK at your base and come back to find yourself dead. You might have taken a little bit of damage. You might have to use a couple bandages, you know, Actually, probably a one bandage, honestly. But you probably won't end up dead. Now, while you're wondering I, why I did this in the first place, basically I had a bug with the Trader Legacy. And this bug made it so I had to do the Legacy three times in order to finish it. Essentially what happened is 
it kept resetting on me, so I'd have to redo the whole legacy again. It reset, I had to do the whole thing again. And basically when that happens, I have to wait a couple hours in game time for it to reset. So I didn't have anything left that I wanted to do in the game because I was at the last mission both times. And both times at the last mission, it reset all the way back to the first mission. I won't get into the specifics in this episode, but basically I would AFK. I was at the corner office in the Cascade Hill map. And I go way up to the top of the base and AFK in the watchtower. And I would just let the game run until the missions pop back up. Because you have to wait until the missions pop back up. Once they pop back up, then I play again. But I wasn't too worried about it because when I'm in the watchtower, there's always two people around me in the watchtower. So I came back. I didn't take any damage at all. So it, it can work out that way. You just have to make sure it's a safe enough spot that zombies won't be coming a lot. I mean, in that particular corner office, I think I only saw... Maybe three zombies make it up there the entire time I was in that base. So it's pretty rare if it's somewhere up high. If it's like a watchtower, a guard tower, something like that that's pretty defensible, chances are your other survivors will protect you a lot more. If it's something like the starting base house, that's a little bit more unsafe because even if you're upstairs, the zombies do go up there sometimes. But... Being upstairs there is definitely better than being in open space in the world. So yeah, that's tip number nine. The eighth best tip in my view for State of Decay 2 is always talk to the traders. Now the traders are always going to have useful items for you, whether it's a wandering trader, a mysterious trader. Basically any trader will have something that could be useful to you. Whether it's you might need rucksacks, you might need some meds. They have basic things like that, but... If it's a really good trader, they could have really great items, like some great guns that you don't have, such as Eternal Guard's Infinite Range, uh, BML-40, some you know higher tier guns that not everyone has been able to find in game. They might have those. They also have sometimes really great facility mods, such as the CNC Miller Mission Poor, the Network Signal Booster. They have great mods like those that you can buy off of them. So I would definitely always talk to the traders when they appear in your game. The wandering trader will appear for 30 minutes. And the mysterious trader usually appears for about 4 hours. I haven't confirmed this for sure, but I have heard that the mysterious traders only appear on the weekends. Which appears like it's true to me so far because during the week when I played, I don't believe I've seen one. But I haven't officially confirmed that, so I'd have to investigate that a little more to find it. But I do know this past weekend when I played, Mysterious Traders were available. I saw them in my game. I saw them in other people's games. And Mysterious Traders are basically the best trader, in my view, that you can find. Because they're the ones that are going to have the better mods, the better guns, because they're a lot more rare. But the Wandering Traders, they appear every so often in your game for a half hour. They're still worth it to talk to because they could still have, say, a skill book that you really need. You know, oh, I really need a medicine skill book. They might have that. They could have, obviously, rucksacks you need. They probably won't have high tier guns like Mysterious Traders will. But even if they don't, it's still worth it to talk to them just to see what they have. Because you never know. There could be a lower level mod that you really wanted that they might have. And you can buy that mod off of them. Now, tip number seven 
is to utilize your base screen while on the road. Now, I feel like a lot of players that aren't experienced with the game yet, there's a little trick that isn't, I think, well known to a lot of people. But you can actually withdraw a rucksack from your storage while you're on the road. Now, this isn't saying you're at outposts. You don't have to be an outpost. You don't have to be at your base. You can just be anywhere randomly in the world out in the open. What you can do is go to your base screen, go to your storage facility, and then you can click withdraw a rucksack. You can withdraw any type of rucksack you want, and it'll appear right on your back within seconds. And this is something that I didn't even know for probably my first, I'd say, 50 hours of the game. So it's definitely a tip that is a little bit harder to come by, I think. But I think it's definitely a lifesaver because especially when you're talking to those people that need help on the road, they'll say, oh, I need a meds rucksack. Oh, can you help me find some food? Well, if you don't know about this tip, you probably go all the way back to your base, get a rucksack, go all the way back to them and then drop it off to them. Now, if you know this tip, then you can just literally spend a couple seconds in your base screen, withdraw a rucksack, hand it off to them, and be on your way. So it helps you help the survivors in your world a lot faster. And not only that, you can actually help yourself a lot more too. Because say you ran out of gas with your car. Oh, shoot, I didn't have any gas with me. There's none in the trunk. No, there's no gas station nearby me. What you can do is you can withdraw a rucksack from your base, break it open, and there's some gas for you. So this is definitely a tip that really helps you in situations. Even if you need meds, you can break open a meds rucksack, then you have some meds. So I wouldn't recommend breaking open rucksacks unless you really have to, but there's situations where you might have to. So if you have to, this is definitely helpful for you. Now, the other tip involved with utilizing your base screen on the road is to remove existing outposts and buy new ones. This is a lot more prevalent in multiplayer, I would say, because when you're in multiplayer, you're obviously covering a lot more ground a lot faster, and people are going to need outposts in order to store all the gear that you're finding. So what you can do is go to your base screen, go to one of the outposts, and then click Abandon. That will abandon your outpost for you. It'll refund you the influence, and then you can buy a new one. So it's definitely common courtesy, I would say, to do this for players in multiplayer. Obviously, don't, you know, abandon ones that you really need. But if it's one that you don't need as much, say you have, I don't know, two extra beds than you need at your time, get rid of that bed's outpost. You'll be at the same amount of beds you need. And then you can claim an outpost for the people that are in your game. This is very handy if you don't have an outpost nearby you. You can just claim any random building and then keep recycling that building. So what I always do is I'm usually at five or six outposts because I use the signal booster mods. So I usually keep four or five outposts for what I want. And then I keep one outpost that is a rotating outpost. And what I mean by rotating outpost is basically like I said. I would just claim an outpost for whatever I need and then abandon that same outpost a couple seconds later and then I'd be ready to claim the next one. So when I go on a mission for multiplayer, I use rotating outposts. Just when we stop at a spot, claim the outpost, then abandon it. When we stop at a new spot, claim that same outpost, abandon it and keep rotating that. And that is honestly the best way to help people in multiplayer while they're helping you help your game. 
But those are basically the top seven tips. So now as we move on, we'll move on to tip number six. Tip number six is power and water is everything. Now, honestly, power and water is very, very useful in this game. It's not something that's going to help you, I guess, with the everyday surviving part. But it's something that really helps a lot in your base system. Because a lot of the functions of your base system, it'll take power or it'll take water. A lot of the upgrades that you need, it'll say requires power. Some of the mods that you need, it'll say requires power. Water will boost your morale. And there's just a lot of things that you can't do if you don't have power and water. Technically, can you beat the game without power and water? Yes, obviously, you definitely can beat it without power and water. No question. But power and water is definitely a quality of life thing that will make your experience a lot better, I would say. Because you can do a lot more while you're in the game. Now, to get power and water, I won't go over it too, too in-depth. But easiest way to get power and water is to beat the game as a builder. Because if you beat the game as a builder, then you get a legacy card. And if you choose that legacy card on your next playthrough, you get free power and water, no cost to you, for that whole game. Which is amazing, because then you can just do whatever you need to in your base. You don't have to worry about it. But if you didn't beat the game as a builder yet, you can definitely still get power and water. It's just more costly and expensive to do so. You can get power and water outpost, which will give you power and water to your base. But they usually cost a lot of influence to get them. You can get facility mods like portable generators and things that give you temporary power. That way you can use it temporarily when you need to do something. But usually that costs fuel, so the best way is to just use a builder and beat the game with the builder. Then you have power and water for free. It doesn't cost you any fuel. doesn't cost you any influence. I definitely recommend having power and water for every game you're in. My first game, I didn't really know the importance of it too much, honestly. And I learned pretty quickly the importance because water really helps the morale of your community. I mean, just think about it in real terms. If you're a survivor in the apocalypse, then water is going to be huge to you because clean water is what you need to survive. So definitely help the survivors in your community. They will actually be a lot happier. They will start less fights if you have water with them. And the power aspect, I haven't noticed any morale with the power, but like I said, there's a lot of things in your base screen that require power to use it. All right, now we're on to the top five. So number five, travel light whenever possible. Now this is really key because being lightly encumbered uses less stamina. If you travel too heavy, it can cut, get you into trouble with a horde. So basically, if you just grabbed a bunch of facility mods or you grabbed a bunch of heavy gear and then you're trying to run away from zombies, they can catch up to you faster because you're going to get tired really quick. So definitely keep yourself lightly encumbered whenever you can. Now, I know there's obviously situations where it's not always advantageous. It's not always possible, especially when you're ending the game. You want to load your survivors up with your best gear, so they're probably not going to be lightly encumbered. But in situations that don't involve when you're ending the game, I would recommend keeping yourself lightly encumbered. You can use ultralight packs. The ultralight backpack will obviously be very lightweight and it'll help you stay lightly encumbered. I typically use hiking backpacks more, but I would just, 
if you're going to use the hiking backpack, then just pick items in your pack that will weigh less weight. Or obviously, if there's items you want to keep that are heavyweight, put them in the trunk of your car instead. Because if you put them in the trunk of your car, then you're not carrying that weight. It's not on your back. You can still move around freely. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to get yourself in a situation where there's a horde of zombies around you. You're trying to fight them off, but you have way too much stuff on your back. Because all that's going to do is get your survivor tired out very fast, and it's probably going to get you killed. But if you're lightly encumbered, you can fight them off, you can dodge more, you can run away. So I would definitely recommend being lightly encumbered if that's at all possible for your situation. Some situations you really can't avoid it, but most situations I would say you can. Tip number four, use your radio commands. Now, this one is key because there's a lot of radio commands that can actually help you in the game. And I feel like a lot of people starting out aren't always aware of all the commands they can use and what they can do. So, for example, you have your unstuck button. What your unstuck radio command can do is if you're stuck somewhere, you just hit your unstuck radio command and just stay still for a second. And the game will actually push you back to your last location a little bit uh, further away so essentially it does what it sounds like it will unstick you so that is very helpful you can find a play card like i said earlier in the episode this is very helpful when you don't know where your last couple play cards are because usually i would use cell towers to try and locate the play cards that doesn't always find your last one or two play cards so if you use find play card then it costs 350 influence, but the game will actually find a play card for you, which is very key because then you can go knock it out and you can be done with it. Now you can actually volunteer to help somebody else in their game for multiplayer. So what this would do is basically just volunteer your services. It, the game would find a game for you to join and you join their multiplayer game. You'd help them out and you get multiplayer rewards for that. On the flip side of that, you can actually shoot up a flare and call for help for someone that to come into your game. I would just caution you, though, to be careful inviting other people into your game in this manner because this is going to be someone you don't know. It's going to be someone that you have no experience with at all. So this person that comes to your game, they could be a great person. You know, they could be really helpful or they could be someone that's a little bit more of a griefer. So just be careful because I did have a situation once where it was mostly my fault because I was stupid enough to do it, but I left something I really wanted to keep in the trunk of a car and the person stole it on me and then they didn't give it back. So just make sure if you're going to invite someone to your game, you don't have things in places where people can get them. Because basically my situation, I was looking to end my game soon figured I'd take some backup for the last mission and I kept one of the mods I wanted to keep in my trunk. They stole that mod on me. I have since found the mod again, so it's not a huge deal, but just keep in mind that you could lose things from people that aren't that helpful. On the flip side of that, there are people that are very helpful and they will actually just give you things for free that you need. They'll give you ammo, they'll give you facility mods, guns, so I definitely wouldn't say don't use the call for help command. I would just say be smart about it and make sure that you don't have anything laying around when you use it. 
I made that mistake one time and it cost me a facility mod, so I don't want to see that happen to anyone else. But honestly, if you need help, you can always use your followers too, like we said earlier in the episode, or if you have to call for help, it's not necessarily a bad thing. The only other thing that can be bad with it is it hasn't happened to me yet, but I've heard that some griefers will throw molotovs and bombs and such like that at your community members. And even though it won't hurt you as much, it basically will hurt your community members and possibly kill them. So definitely just watch out for that and watch out for people that are grief you. But there are other radio commands that are easily helpful as well. You can use a supply drop, which a supply drop is basically when you have an enclave that is friendly or allied with you. They will just give you supplies. They'll drop it somewhere near you. You can find a specific trader. If you have the trade depot, you can find a trader and they will come right to your base's door. It can be a food trader, ammo trader, materials trader, you name it. You can actually call an artillery strike, which you do this with a special military comms outpost, basically. And the artillery strike, that will just do what it sounds like. You throw a little marker out there. Like it's like a little smoke grenade, basically, and that will mark where you want the artillery strike to be, and it'll bomb that area, which can be helpful if you have zombies around you. You can also find resources, which is helpful. So if you really need some materials rucksacks, you really need a food rucksack, you can pay a little influence, and you can find that resource. The game will tell you where to find it, and it's great, because then you have the resource you need. Now, actually, there is one radio command I didn't know about until just fairly recently. But there's actually a radio command from a friendly enclave in my game currently, and they offer the radio command to provide a vehicle for me. So basically, if I pay 250 influence, they will have a vehicle nearby me. So say I'm on the road and my vehicle blows up and I have no vehicle by me, I can pay 250 influence and call them on the radio, and they will deliver a salvage vehicle to me, which is super helpful. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know you could do that. And this isn't... I know if you pre-order the game, there's the uh, command that actually has the vehicle that you got for the pre-order come in. This is not that command. This is a separate command. has nothing to do with pre-order. It's just from a friendly enclave that will deliver you a salvage vehicle. I haven't used it yet, but basically this group of people, they're like mechanics. They call themselves the Dead Axles. And basically, they will provide me a vehicle. So there's always more commands you can find. I found one that um, has play cart assistance. So it gives you items specific for dealing with play carts. So there's probably some commands I don't even know about yet that, you know, maybe doing work for Enclave, they'll give you a special command that I haven't even heard of yet. But those are some of the ones I've heard of so far. Just based on that, you can kind of see how useful radio commands can actually be. There's so many things you can do with your radio commands, so I would definitely recommend using them in a lot of situations. That's what they're there for. I mean, they're basically there for if you get in a jam, you really need something, use your radio command and see what you can do. So that's tip number four. Now we're at the top three tips in State of Decay 2. So these are the tips that I think are the most helpful tips in the game, and if you use these tips, they are most essential to your survival, I would say. So tip number three in State of Decay 2, I call it your car is your best friend. 
The reason why I say that is because your car is so helpful. There's so much you can actually do with your car. Basically, you can use your trunk to store extra supplies, which I know a lot of people know, but if you didn't know that, then you can store rucksacks in there. You can store your heavy facility mods in there. You can obviously go long distance very quickly because you don't want to run across half the map. You'd rather obviously take your car across half the map. And another thing you can do with your cars is the ones you're not using that are at your base, you can su store supplies for later in your cars. So say, for example, you have too much food right now and your food is maxed at your base. Well, it might not always be that way. You might need food later on. So what you can do is a car you're not using, put your extra food rucksacks in that car and just leave them there. And then they'll stay there. And then when you need them for your base, all you have to do is just transfer them to your base. So you can use your cars as extra storage when you have no more room in your base. So it's very helpful that way. And along that same note, another thing you can do at your base, which I found out, is you can actually block the walls with the cars. So say there's like a hole in your base that zombies can easily get through. Drive a car up and block that hole. And then basically the zombies will have a harder time getting in that spot. So essentially it's just better base management that will protect your base better procedures. It's not something huge, but... It's definitely something that will help your life in the game a lot more. Another thing I found that you can do with cars, which I didn't know uh, until a little bit later in the game, is you can actually cross the rivers. Now, when I first started the game, as a lot of people I'm sure thought, I didn't think you could cross the river. I thought you had to go across a bridge or go around, but you can actually cross the river with a game. And I found this one out from Maris Lipa on YouTube. So I'll give him a shout out, but he tried crossing the river with a car and he said it worked just fine. I haven't personally tried it yet because I'm not on that map right now that has a lot of the rivers, but according to him, you can cross the river with a car and I assume that's true. So that is a great thing to know because crossing the river with a car will be so much easier than going around, especially if you're playing on Meager Valley. Meager Valley only has three bridges, so basically you have these one of three bridges to get across the other side of the map, but if you can cross the river, then great, you don't need those bridges, just drive right across. And Meager Valley, I mean, you can almost drive across that entire map without worrying about roads, so that is a very helpful thing to do. Now, I save this aspect for last because it is honestly one of the most handy quality of life things you can do with your car, but... If you drive your car into a parking spot and it says it's parked, what you can do is go to your trunk and then on PC, use the T key. On Xbox, you would use the right trigger. But what you can do is anything that's in your trunk of your car, you can transfer it directly to your base. And this is a huge quality of life thing because all those rucksacks, you can just literally keep hitting right trigger, right trigger, or the T key on PC and transfer all that to your base. That way you don't have to take it out of your car, go to your storage, take it out of your car, go to your storage. It just saves you a lot of time that way. So that is definitely a great thing that Undead Labs did to give us more quality of life in the game. But honestly, all that combined, your car is just so important. So I would definitely recommend keeping a lot of cars by your base, keep them fueled up, just Always make sure you find a car when you start out too. I wouldn't go past 
I'd say probably the latest I would go in the game without having a car is maybe like day three. But any longer than that, I would not go past without having a car. And it's always really simple to get a car too. When you start the game, there's always that first car that runs out of gas. If in doubt, you can always choose that car. All you have to do is find a gas can, bring it back to that car, and then you have a car. So if you're having trouble finding cars, I would recommend just start out with that one. And then throughout your game, you're going to find other cars. I won't get into what cars are best right now, but honestly, having any car is better than no car because you can travel so much faster across the map. You can kill zombies with your cars, run them over. You can use your car doors. There's just so many things you can do with your car that if you're not using a car, then please start using a car because it's very helpful to your game. All right, so number two. Tip number two in State of Decay 2 is always prepare before leaving your base. Now, this can mean a lot of things, but basically whatever your mission is, say you're taking out a play card, say you're going to search for materials, whatever your mission is, gear specifically for that mission. So if I'm going out to take a play card, I want to grab enough weapons that I can defend myself. So I want to have an extra melee weapon in my bag. So instead of, say, I have a Kukri, I don't want to just have one Kukri. I want to have a Kukri and then a backup weapon in case my Kukri breaks. And that is something I learned throughout playing. It is very helpful to have that backup weapon because there's going to be a lot of times where you don't expect it, but you get into a bigger horde than you thought you'd find. Your weapon that you're using breaks or it gets damaged. All you have to do is just switch your backup weapon and you have another weapon ready to go. I think it's only happened to me one time where I had both weapons get damaged, but they both didn't break, so they're still useful. But it only happened one time where I actually had two weapons get damaged in the same uh, mission. And on that same note, you definitely want to bring extra ammo if you're going to take out a play card or whatever it is. If it's going to be a longer mission, honestly, pretty much any mission, I would bring at least one clip. So I would reload my gun to full, say it's some kind of rifle and it takes a 30 clip. I would bring an extra 30 bullets for that rifle, as long as you have it, obviously. But bringing an extra 30 bullets, that will allow you to reload one time. So you got 60 shots, obviously. If it's a pistol, then same thing, you know, bring an extra clip. It's just always helpful to have the extra clip of ammo just in case. Now, I know it'll obviously take up inventory slot in your bag, so that's not good, obviously. But what is good about it is you're going to have that ammo and that peace of mind. That way, say a juggernaut comes upon you, you have extra ammo to take him down. You know, if you have a juggernaut come upon you and all you have is like a pistol with seven shots in it, that's not a great scenario for you. Then definitely bring plenty of meds, too. I always carry at least three bottles of painkillers. Sometimes I carry bags of snacks, depending on what I'm going to be doing. If I'm taking a lot, a lot of infestations, I know that my stamina can wear out a little quicker, so I might bring some bags of snacks with me. That way I can refuel my stamina if I get into a bad spot. It just kind of depends on what your situation is. And like I said in tip number three, your car is definitely your best friend too, so make sure you use your car. Because you can always put an extra gas can and a toolkit in your car. The toolkit, I do sometimes, but the gas can, I almost always do. Because your car is going to run out of gas at some point, so it's always a lot more handy to have that extra gas can already in your car 
All you have to do is open the trunk. It's there. Gas it up and you're ready to go. The toolkit I don't always do depending on what mission I'm doing because it is kind of a bad thing. Say your car has six trunk spots. It does kind of suck to have two of those spots taken up by a gas can and a toolkit at the same time. So you just have to kind of weigh your options because if you're going to search for a lot of materials or a lot of ammo or food. Basically, if you're going to do a lot of searching, it's not always great to have the toolkit and the gas can because that's two trunk spots you can't use. So I usually carry a gas can. And then if I'm going to do a mission that I find to be maybe a little quicker where I'm not going to be doing as much searching, I'll put a toolkit in there as well. And then I can repair as I go. So that way, if the car becomes smoking, you know, cause white smoke, black smoke, or if it blows up, I can just repair it right there. So that's always helpful. But just in general, just prepare before you leave your base because you don't want to get out into the world, find a horde of zombies and realize, oh, shoot, I only have one weapon on me. I have a gun that has almost no ammo left and I have like no meds. That is not a situation that anyone wants. I mean, you could lose a character there. You could technically survive it, but just don't chance it. I mean, with permadeath being in this game and you can lose your characters for good, don't chance a situation like that. Just always think ahead. Okay, this mission is going to be a lot of fighting, so I want to make sure I'm prepared for that. You know, bring a 50 cal rifle for a play cart, bring some extra ammo, whatever you have to do, but make sure you are prepared because... That is one of the best things you can do to keep yourself alive in this game. If you just go around willy-nilly and not actually think about your actions, then it's not going to help you in the long run because your characters get into a lot of trouble. Just prepare, 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 honestly. That being said, tip number one also has to do a lot with preparing as well. So without further ado... The top tip, I think, in State of Decay 2 is to specialize wisely. Now, what I mean by specialize wisely is to make sure you choose your specializations for all your characters' skills very carefully. When you choose these, you can't go back and choose them again. So it's very important that you do it right the first time. Don't just go, oh, this one, that sounds cool. Let me just pick that. I mean, if you don't plan on playing the game a lot, I guess you could maybe do that. But if you plan on playing the game for any period of time at all, then definitely think about your specializations before you do it, because you can't go back on that. And you could actually build a lot better characters that way. I mean, just to name a few that I like a lot, there's some specializations like Marathon, Discipline, Stealth, Resourcefulness, Weapon Handling. Those are just a few of the specializations I tend to enjoy a lot. There's plenty of specializations, though. There's a lot other ones, and there's ones that are better for specific characters. So even those ones I just mentioned, they're not always the best for whatever type of character you're building. If you're building one with, you know, a lot of stamina, then choose things that suit that character. If you're building a character that is rather bulky and he can you know be a powerhouse with a lot bigger melee weapons perhaps choose the powerhouse you know just think about what kind of character you're building and build around that because you have to think about your community as a whole and you don't want to just have every character with the same thing you want to have 
characters that can do different things. So you might have one guy that's really good at stealth. You might have one guy that is a powerhouse that can take a lot of hits and hit back pretty hard. You might have one guy that has the backpacking skill that can carry a lot of stuff for you. So you might use him for your scavenging missions. Just think about how you want to build your community and build around that because you might want to have a couple characters that can do the same thing. That way, when they get tired, then you can switch to the other character and they can do the same exact thing and you're still good to go. But definitely plot your specializations carefully. And what I would say is, say you leveled up your fighting skill on one of your characters. I wouldn't specialize that right away. I would at least wait until you have another one. So say you have fighting and you have cardio ready to go. Now you have a little bit better picture of what that character could be. Because when you specialize a character, it'll give you two, sometimes three options for that character. But if you choose one of those options and then realize, oh shoot, they don't have the cardio skill I wanted to give them as well. Then you have to rethink how you want to build that character. Every character has different traits that affect how their specializations come out. So basically it's all randomized, but it has to do a lot with the traits. So say you really wanted to give someone... Actually, for example, there's a character I really wanted to give backpacking and resourcefulness to. But unfortunately, when I was specializing them, I didn't get the option to give them backpacking. So I had to change what I was doing and I had to think about, okay... What is the next best skill I can pair them with? And how can I build this character to be a good character? So you're not always going to have the things you want. Because some people like, say, swordplay a lot. Which swordplay is very powerful. But you might not get swordplay. So you have to think, okay, since I don't have swordplay, how can I build this character to be an effective character without having what I want it to be? So definitely, definitely don't specialize right off. I would at least wait until you have two options. So whether it's like, say, cardio and wits are maxed out, whether it's fighting and shooting are maxed out, at least wait until you have two options. That way you have a better picture of what the character could be. Because you don't want to specialize your first option and then realize that you have to go in a totally different direction and you can't reverse. Now, with that being said, the same also goes for your skill books. So you have a bunch of different skill books, whether it's medicine, utilities, computers, mechanics, craftsmanship, gardening. I think that's six out of the eight. There's cooking as well. So I'm missing one of them, but that's seven of the eight skill books right there. These skills, you want to make sure you have your community well-rounded in. The same thing with specializations. Once you put a skill on somebody, then you can't take that back. So say I put the medicine textbook on somebody, they learn it. They know medicine now, but say later on, I want to, oh, I want this character to know utilities instead. You can't do that. You can't take it back. So definitely think about how you want to build your community before you actually use your skill books and before you specialize. Because the skill books can lead to a lot of great specializations later on. Like, for example, mechanics, you can either use engineering or you can use auto mechanics. Both of those are very good, I think. But you definitely want to think about how you want to do it because... You might want to have, oh, I really want auto mechanics in this guy, but I have another guy that has mechanics, so I can have both sets. But there's some skill types where I think chemistry is the one I'm thinking of correctly, where chemistry, I wouldn't really recommend having more than one because honestly, both sides of the skill tree, I don't think it's useful to have both sides. 
So there's some skills where it's very good to have both sets of the skill. What I mean by that is like, say, mechanics, for example. Having auto mechanics is very helpful and having engineering is very helpful. But some of the skills like, say, chemistry, I think, is one of them where it's not really that helpful to have both sides. So you definitely don't want to have where, oh, I have three people that have medicine. That's not going to help you because there's only two sets of skill types you can have when you specialize medicine. So having three won't help you. So definitely think about things as you're recruiting survivors to your community and also as you're specializing and using your skill books. Because a lot of this game is just proper planning, honestly. And if anyone needs help with that, then definitely, you know, seek me out. I will definitely be happy to help anyone that needs help. But a lot of planning goes a long way in this game. So essentially, that's the top 10 tips for State of Decay 2. I hope you enjoyed them. And I hope that some of these tips help you some way along your game. But I really appreciate everyone listening to the Blaze Experience. It's definitely a lot of fun for me to do this, and I love doing it. So I apologize again that it's been a little while since the last episode, but I definitely don't plan to have that happen again. And this thing with me doing a solo podcast might be more of a thing in the future. So if you do like the solo podcast, let me know. If you prefer the guests being on here, then let me know that as well. I'm definitely not opposed to having guests in the future. I mean, I'll still have guests, just I'm not sure if I'm going to have a guest every episode from now on. Well, yeah, I appreciate everyone listening. If you want to get in touch with me, you can do so at Blaze Experience on Twitter. And remember, there's no Ian experience. You can find me on Discord. There's a Blaze Experience Discord, which will be in the show notes. You can also find me with my new email, blazeexperience at gmail.com. Or you can use my personal email if you want to, d.blaze89 at gmail.com. Either one of those ways is fine. You can just contact me either way. And if you want to listen to the show, the best way to help us out is with Radio Public, which is a free app. And this app is available anywhere in the world. It's available on Android and iOS. Basically, this app, if enough people listen via this app, then it They will help podcasters by contributing back to them. So I would definitely appreciate anyone who listens via this app. If you don't want to listen with that app, that's perfectly fine. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play. You can find us on Stitcher, pretty much any podcast app. So any podcast app you can find, for the most part, will be on there. If we're not on one that you want us to be on, just send me a message and let me know, and I will see about getting us on that one. But again, thank you very much for listening, and I really appreciate it. So thank you for listening to The Blaze Experience.